Welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. In this episode, we see how things are shaping up for Batman and Robin, find out what happened to Leroy and Rusty, say goodnight to Hellboy, take a field trip to summer camp, and Oh, hello there. Oh, we didn't see you there, listener. Drop physically impossible to just dropping in on us. I guess I guess we'll do a podcast since you're here. Yeah, why not? Well, uh, as you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm David, and over there is uh, Nick. As far away as possible. As, let me tell you. Well, as far away from a school as possible. David does not shower. I showered today. Like the first time in 30 years. No, for the first time since yesterday. <laughs> That's long enough. I'm just saying. I've heard things. I talk to your wife sometimes. No, you don't. I said sometimes. Oh, and I had you turned down a little bit. Sorry, people who were listening. But now Nick should be coming through loud and proud. <laughs> I really like that statement, and I don't know why. That's because you uh, identify with the LGBT community. The loud group. Wow, not what I said. The loud group, LGB, loud group bringing... Togetherness. LGB bringing togetherness. Well, but, oh, no, but the Q. bringing the Q. togetherness. What about the Q? Oh, crap. Bringing LGBTQT, right? Yeah, QT. Uh, I'm not really loud, sure what the order is. Something. Anyway. <laughs> yes, we support the LGBTQXWZ in whatever form it takes. Um, well, David, it's another week of comic book goodness. It and, is. Um, but... Like most weeks. Most weeks. We are here to talk about the comp books that we use to escape from the harsh reality called reality. Well, see, before this starts, because I didn't know where to fit this into the show, so I just want to kind of barrel into it right at the beginning, set the okay. mood for everything. Well, you're awful with segues, so sure, go ahead. Just yeah. David's going to say something now, people. You just, realize when I... Right, David, take it away. Wow. So this is coming from the guy whose recommendation today isn't even comic books. Anyway... Uh, what I want to talk about here is actually something you and I had sort of already talked about, but I I feel like this should be shared with the general masses, and that is that from the Marvel the people who live in the Marvel Cinematic Universe's perspective, Ant Man is a villain, and I don't know what to call this this segment. You know, like second looks or uh, or closer fresh looks or something. Takes. Fresh takes, second glances. I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll R and D this, but thinking about it. We as the audience get to see this whole heist from beginning to end. It's all very covert and done in the shadows. But if you think about it, what happens in the movie is that a guy who runs a tech company, now we don't really know what level tech company, but they seem to be doing pretty well for themselves, has this big event, and at this event, uh, a 
a costumed person shows up and begins causing havoc, destroying property, and very likely killing people. People died in Ant-Man as a result of Ant-Man and his friend's actions. It, it It's true. Unavoidable. It, it's unavoidable. Well, I mean, it could have been avoided. Uh, and besides the fact that he was going to ultimately sell it to Hydra agents. Now, this is something that we know as the audience, but very few people even in the movie know this. And because there was no formal transaction made, there's no, there's proof. no record. There's no proof. And so this costumed person shows up, begins causing trouble, as they have done in the past, say, at the racing event that Tony Stark was at when Whiplash first showed up. Uh, and then Darren who is, you know, a tech uh, mogul. Presumably a fairly prominent tech mogul. Dons his own suit to then attack the person who is attacking him and his people. Darren Cross is the hero of, of the Ant-Man world, according to the MCU, at least from the public perspective. And he then gets brutally murdered by Ant-Man. And at the end of it... In front of his own child. In front of his own... Well, there, in Ant front of Ant-Man's child. child, yeah. Now, of course, we, as the audience, we know, like, the truth, and, and presumably the truth might eventually come out. There's no way that it really could, uh, considering all the members of Hydra get killed, and there's really nobody who's going to be like, yeah, he was totally selling crap to Hydra. Um, oh, I, I had additional thoughts on this. Uh, and I'm not going to stop now. Don't stop me now. We're having such a good time. We're having a ball. Uh, having a good time. Having a good time. I'm, I have to. I have a story about that to talk about. Oh, that's the song I was trying to think of the other day. Keep going, David. Okay. Well, and then at the end, um, the Ant-Man's... I'm trying to think the relation here. Ant-Man's daughter's stepdad is like, oh, yeah, man, you're totally cool. Like, thanks. Like, I guess you saved her. But he doesn't really know, like, from what. There's no reason for him to just suddenly, like, trust Scott. Scott was still doing a heist. He was still a criminal. Still criminal. The, I mean, the only reason Scott gets any kind of slack is obviously to the cop. Like, the, his, Scott's daughter is going to be the most important person to him. And he sees her being threatened. So, basically, that's the point. And where he attacked... I mean, Darren did kill a guy early in the movie, but you're right. As far as public perception concerns, Ant-Man is the enemy. And uh, and he attacks an Avengers facility. Yeah. Like, that they then hush up. Because Falcon doesn't like to look like a chump. Yeah, man. Man, there's but, some shady shit. But yeah, yeah. other than that, like there there really is no reason. And then I, I like at the end, Scott, now, full disclosure, I really enjoyed Ant-Man. Oh, no, no, Ant-Man's great. Ant-Man's a, Ant a really fun movie. Um. Uh, but I like at the end, Scott's like, oh, I have to go to work. Or, oh, it's, oh, it's work. And I'm like, what, work? what is your job? He doesn't like, have a job. I'm assuming he's working for Hank Pym, but, but in what capacity? And Bodyguard? is he getting paid? And then he goes and meets with Louise anyway, so. Yeah. Uh, I imagine he's getting paid something. I don't know. Also, uh, you mentioned, or we were, we were mentioning Queen earlier. Uh, you, you were aware of, of Sacha Baron Cohen, the, the gentleman. Uh, yeah, they wanted does uh, Borat. Yeah. yeah, so he was really wanting to play Freddie Mercury for a very long time, getting like a Freddie Mercury biopic going, and mm -hmm. uh, he talked recently about why it's not happening, and that's because the uh, members of Queen who are still around uh, want 
Freddie Mercury to die like in the middle of the movie and the rest of the movie be about how the band has carried on without him like in that hardship it's like that's not the story anybody is interested in hearing <laughs> that is true yes anyway those are just uh, some thoughts on Ant-Man for you when, you're, uh, when your head hits the pillow tonight just think about how Scott is the bad guy to the Batmobile. Let's go. Let's talk about some comics. Well, I did. I was not very successful reading comics this week. Uh, um, dark confessions. So, I mean, David, I don't know if you want to kind of start off with some of the, if you had uh, some pressing thoughts about some of the books that you've been reading uh, before we get into the nuts and bolts of Batman and Robin Eternal. So unlike you, I read lots of stuff this week. Oh, mean, Stephen, I'm just an overachiever. Yep, uh, when I can be, which is not very often because I'm also kind of lazy. Most of the time, I am a failure. I didn't want to say that. Uh, so Descender, I don't want to talk about Descender because it is this, uh, it's, it's an endpoint of the second arc. It's a mm -hmm. really good issue. Uh, I think there's some really impressive world building going on there, kind of on the level of Saga. So if you're a pretty big Saga fan and you uh, are looking for something very similar, I would say that this is something like that, except that it feels a little bit more contained. Um, but as far as like the depth goes that people enjoy from Saga, I think it's uh, it's really hitting that really well. That sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one book that I was very excited, and I was I, I was thinking earlier this month, or it's still fairly early in the month, so late last month. Uh, I was thinking about, man, there has not been an issue of Autumnlands for a while. I assumed that they were just at a point where they were taking a break. Apparently that was not the plan. Uh, as as Kurt Busiek said in the back of the book, just some things kind of got away from them. Uh, holiday printing schedule, then some sicknesses hit. Uh, but we got an issue this week. And no, wait, so now you're saying because I knew that there was a break between the last arc and this one. I think this arc's only two issues in. So you're saying there was a big break between last issue and this issue, mm -hmm. like uh, of the same arc? Yes. Oh, okay. Because uh, I'm still like a issue. I didn't read this week's obviously, and I don't yeah, think I read the yeah, first issue of the current arc. The very last page says we're we're late. Sorry, it started with holiday printing schedules messing up. That Ben got sick, Kirk got sick, Jordy got frantic. Blah, 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 blah. Um, and, of course, we're already running late. Number 10 and 11 will be late, too, and we're bumping 12 a month on the schedule, so it won't appear in the catalogs, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, just things are taking a little bit longer. Uh, but this is Autumnlands number 9. And uh, as I had kind of forgotten, because there was a bit of a break there, the last issue ended with uh, Leard and Rusty getting attacked by some goat people. As one is apt to do. Yes. And in this issue, we find out they were rescued by sheep people. And so far, all we'd seen of the land beneath the floating cities was like the bison tribes who were wandering the plains and seemed kind of like barbaric, you know? Mm -hmm. This one really kind of gives the idea that there is a whole life down there. Uh, that is very kind of akin to medieval fantasy where there's like sheep, they're called sheep villages because they're villages full of sheep that are all around the world, typically in, uh, in mountains. They're really quiet, quaint little places that keep to themselves. Uh, and they save Leard and Rusty and they're having like this great tragedy happen. So they're asking them to like, please help. 
because uh, they think like they're wizards, which of course they're really not. Rusty is a, a slightly training wizard. Um, a slightly training wizard. And one thing that was really interesting is because the question is, okay, these are animal people, and it's been discussed that they eat meat. Um, are they cannibalizing? And Nick, I'm here to tell you, they are not. Oh, what meat do they eat? We find out that they uh, they have beasts to work the land that look like dinosaurs. But I believe they call them, um, look it up right here. Uh, where is it? Where is it? Uh, they call them field dragons. Field it's dragons. the ones that, that work the field. So uh, apparently there are animals in this world, but they are reptilian more so in nature and uh, unfortunately people at home can't see but nick i'm going to show you that they have a panel with one of the beasts of burden huh so they basically feed on dinosaurs yeah that's interesting because you always think in a world where the anthropomorphic in like the, the sentient worlds uh, sentient creatures are animal people it's like, what if they are meat eaters, what do they eat? Bojack Horseman gets really dark with that because they have really weirdly inbred chickens that they kill and eat. Oh, I've seen that episode. Yeah, that episode's so great. Uh, anyway, so in this issue, the, you know, the brief premise of, uh, of Leard and Rusty, and Rusty's really hesitant. He doesn't want to help these people because he doesn't feel like he can, but he proves to kind of have some some smarts because people are getting sick in the village and he realizes that the people who are getting sick are the really young and the really old and that's because everybody in the ages between drinks only beer everyone else are the young and the old drink water and so he's catches on pretty quick and tells them like until you know until we figure it out don't drink anything uh or don't let them drink water just have them all drink beer and then as, as Leard is like, yeah. Have the babies drink beer. Right, exactly. And as Leard's like, of course we're going to help you. We'll, you know, we'll go up to the mountain and, and figure this out. Like, Rusty's very uncomfortable with lying to them about this. Uh, and, and, you know, he's always kind of been questioning of Leard's methods, but he still viewed him, he still sort of views him as a champion. You know, I don't understand what he's doing, but it's getting results and he's really strong and really powerful. And as this issue kind of wears on, you see, he's really beginning to doubt, uh, his reasoning where Leard saying, yeah, we'll totally do this. Even though he has no idea if they can, Rusty feels really uncomfortable because he feels like they're deceiving them, uh, that they're saying they're, they're going to do something that they can't. Hmm. And just, it's a, it, Really great moment of characterization, setting up this new story arc. Uh, I, you know, we haven't seen the floating city. I now, I, I think, for a couple issues now. And while that is still like a really interesting plot point, I'm glad we're not just focusing on oh magic and the floating cities. Like now, you know, like I was saying with Descender, I'm really enjoying the world building there. I'm enjoying that in in here as well. Uh, and and that magic has its its big overarching place, but a lot of people are living day to day lives, you know, in in villages and in towns. And I'm very curious uh, to see where this adventure is going to take them, and to find out who the crap that woman was that uh, Leard was dealing with. Mm -hmm. uh, but Autumn Lands has just been a a constant treat 
and I'm I'm really glad that it's back this week, and I can't wait for the next uh, next few issues whenever they come out. Excellent. Mm, yeah. Well, Nick, we're starting to wind down on Batman and Robin Eternal, which means that things are beginning to wind up. Yes. So, um, where I left, where basically when I started playing catch up this week, um, I left off right before um, uh, Harper Rowe found out that she was the one that Mother had chosen to be Batman's replacement Robin. Yes. And obviously that never panned out quite the right way. I wonder if Scott Snyder had that in mind as well. When he like first created her? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say no. Maybe he had a kernel of an idea. Like she was like, she's the missing Robin or something. Mm-hmm. Um, the missing link. Um, but I mean, I mean, I don't really know how I feel about the idea. I guess I don't really care. <laughs> And not like in a like a sort of I'm beside myself not caring like a like it's an interesting idea but it all right so so anyway Harbor Row is was supposed to be Batman's perfect Robin or yeah perfect Robin and then what has happened since you discovered that young Nicholas um. Well, I mean, basically, like, her mother was killed. Uh, oh, uh, you find out that, spoilers, Cassandra Kane killed Harper Rowe's mother. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's caused a rift between Harper and Cassandra. 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 Um, her name was Cassandra. Uh, basically, these and these issues just kind of blow by. It's a wonder that I take so long to catch up. <laughs> but um, that's, how bas- I felt, that's how I felt, because I finished up Batman Eternal the other week and just the reading those last probably like 15 I had just like went boom, 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 boom. Like why now did it I'm take like, me so now long? I'm like, this probably didn't even need to be a 26 issue event. It could have been like a 20 issue event or, or an 18 issue event or something like the more you look at it, the more you're that. like, mm. like it's sometimes it's nice to like have kind of pad things just to kind of let the character moments flow sometimes. But other times it's like that issue was filler. Um, that being said, we're basically hitting the 11th hour here. The issue that came out this week was number 23. We've got three issues left. It is like countdown time. Uh, everything's going to shit. There are children running amok all over the world. Yes. Basically on a on a, a mission to kill their own parents. So, and- so, so mother found a radio wave that she can play emit uh, from a satellite. Well, down like from a satellite to transceivers that will turn children into killing machines anyone under the age of 20 is going to do her bidding i forget spoiler wasn't affected but she was in one of the cities that i believe was affected yeah she her and colin were in gotham i thought colin was also under 20 yeah they they both are for sure maybe it's just that maybe maybe the apartment is protected against that yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, thoughts and feelings, like, I'm kind of just, like, gunning towards the end here. Like, I'm not really sure what's left to be said or to be done besides ultimately taking down Mother and basically mm-hmm. um, 
you know, just ending on that note, I'm sure there's at least one one or two more surprises left in play uh, to be revealed. But what they are, I have no idea. And I'm not, like, racking my brain trying to figure them out. No, Basically, like, the, the last the big ride. thing was, like, and I feel like it was, it's been telegraphed for a long time, like, that Harper was going to be the replacement, the, the, the quote-unquote, the perfect Robin. Um, I can't think of anyone else that they, they didn't really hint at it being anyone else. Um, right. Another thing that I'm trying to remember is in one of the earlier issues, Tim Drake appeared to be a yes, double agent yes, working for Mother. I think that's still going to come into play. Got three issues to do it. I, you know, it's just funny because every time we talk about Batman and Robin Eternal, I feel like you bring that up, which is fair. It's fair. I'm it's, just, I'm just, it's just interesting because I feel like in a 26 issue weekly series, I swear that that has only been hinted at in that one scene. And hasn't come into play at all. Not even the slightest of hints. So I feel like if they do some kind of reveal for it. I mean obviously I remember. But I don't want to speak for everyone. You're going to get up there and be like. Oh. Tim was a double agent or something. So it'll be interesting. If that does pan out. I'll be curious what that means for Tim going forward. uh, Into Rebirth. Um, Beyond that. Like the book has been. You know, it's always like the scenes, it's the individual scenes that I enjoy more than anything. Honestly, out of like the five issues that I read in the last couple of days, um, I basically enjoyed the Midnighter stuff the most. Uh, having him come in, I love the Dick Grayson Midnighter rival- rivalry. Um, I liked his little moment with Cullen, where like he's just he's just so cheeky in the face of like a global disaster. And he's like, Cullen, pull up a seat. Oh, you've hacked a electric bill i don't even know what that means how you hack an electric bill well but, like he um, like hacked into the, the system to say that it was paid or that it didn't need to get paid or whatever yeah i mean, i figured as much uh but like you pull up the seat hack some satellites or whatever get me some good feed i just like that little rapport um yeah it's, uh, it's kind of nice in that aspect because colin has been incredibly useless well he's uh, not even been useless he just hasn't been around it oh him and stephanie have basically sat out set up this entire event oh for this like for this event yeah yeah absolutely which, which i'm fine with you know and obviously by you know by bluebird became a, a fixture because of the revelation that she was meant to be a replacement robin um for dick grayson which is interesting also makes me feel like the ages are weird so if dick grayson's supposed to be like 16 or something mm, around the time mm, that the story was taking place don't really spend too much time on it no i know but i mean it, I like I don't worry too like if five or so years have passed. I mean I know that um uh, you're right, forget about it. I don't really give a shit. Yeah. Um it's it's like we can just sit here and be like, Well yeah, the timelines don't add up, but what's the point? The stories are being told. Yeah. Um what am I trying to say? While you're thinking, I do want to say that I thought the issue I think it was before this one or one or two before this where uh, it's just after it's still like in the past. So it's, it's one of the Batman stories uh, where mother has had uh, Cassandra Kane kill Harper Rose mom. And then mm-hmm. you have like for a chunk of the issue, Batman trying to figure out what to do with Harper Rowe and Colin. And, you know, he's like, I could bring them into the manor. Like that would be like the right thing to do. But obviously she's smart. Uh, she's clever. If he brings her in there, you know, he he equates it back to Dick Grayson. If I bring her in there, she's going to figure it out, and then how can I keep her away from that? And then he goes and threatens their dad 
even, he even knows like this is a hollow gesture because this man is a failure and he's going to fail them yet again. Uh, so like, what's like, what's really the point? Like he's, he's just at this complete loss with them. And as we've seen uh, through other means that he has taken care of Harper Rowe. Uh, I think she's gotten some scholarships before and stuff like that um, to ensure that, you know, she, uh, still has the up and up in life. It'd be really interesting to go look back at her character appearances before this. Oop, hit my microphone there. Uh, like before I would say eternal and kind of see like what puzzle pieces are there. Uh, did, 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 was any of this telegraphed or, or leading up to, uh, what was going on? Yeah. I feel like, I mean, obviously I can't remember the hundred percent certainty, but trying to look back, I don't, think that this was explicitly no, but in she some was, of her earlier scenes. I feel like the scenes where it showed... Well, there was she was uh, selected for something by Bruce Wayne. Yeah, but she that was, was after I think he had met her on the streets. I, and he, and I don't remember, remember him acting in any way that hinted right. at, which... Which, I mean, yeah, so... It it could be a retcon, and in that case, I think it fits in fine if it is, or it yeah. could be what was planned all along, and they just decided not to play that hand until now. Yeah, yeah whatever. I mean, what it ultimately, ultimately, I, it definitely it gives uh, Harper a little layer. I think she's here to stay, as far as the Bat books are concerned, until you know she probably falls into obscurity, like. A lot of the secondary Batman characters no, tend to come I and like, go. I like Harper Row. No, I, I like Harper Row too, and all. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of being pessimistic here. But um, uh, I mean, it, it does add an extra layer to her. But at the same time, like it's not like she's going to go be Robin. Like she's going to continue being Bluebird. So mm -hmm. it's just going to be kind of something that sits on the peripherals of her character. That like I suppose writers could bring up. But exactly what more do you want to say on it? She was meant to be a replacement Robin. She never was. She still found her way into Batman's orbit and became a vigilante anyway. So, Well, I mean, that depends. Is, she's, is she going to get her... Uh, oh, Harper and Rowe is also the name of the major American publishing firm, Harper, from 1962 to 1990. Um, yeah, is, it, is she going to get her own book? Probably not for a while, if she ever does. Well, doesn't Duke Thomas become Lark at some point? And wasn't there like in, a Bluebird and Lark um, in the, hinted at in the future Batman in, issue? In, in the future's end stuff, yes, he does. Even though I think that was before the We Are Robin nonsense started happening. Yeah. Um, which I think is like, it's totally fine. I think there are still stories to tell with her. Where they go with the character, I don't know. But then again, I'm not spending my time racking my brain. And I'm sure that if I did, and there's probably people who there's probably people who read this and are like, "Oh man, I've got a really great Harper Row story I could tell." Uh, I really wish that Red Robin had his own book. Like you could do like a, a Red Robin and Bluebird book. I think that would be really cool. Uh, bouncing around. Because she's kind of fallen into his protege. I also really liked the moment uh, where Damien is flashing back to when he was training with Bruce. And Bruce has this brief moment of here is who every member of, you know, who's, who's who every Robin is. Like, Damien, who are you going to be? 
uh, you know, Dick Grayson is the clearer vision of what Batman was supposed to be. Uh, uh, Jason Todd is, is, you know, he's who Batman can't be at t- or when, or how did he describe uh, you're it? You're right. Basically he's, um, he does the things that Batman, Batman can't. can't when the world needs them. And right. I actually had a problem with that line. Jason Todd's supposed to be the black sheep. And on he, one hand, like I do like that. He's kind of mellowed out a bit. He was the I, black sheep. He, he, and he, it's changed. I feel like he should still be the black sheep because he operates in a way that is to- diametrically opposed to Batman's missions. He still goes out and shoots people. And the fact that Batman, the, the line came off too much like Batman was okay with it. I, I, I get that. I get that feeling. I get why, why you have, I don't know. I thought it was I a, like Jason Todd. I like that he's the black sheep. If anything, he should go from being called Red Hood to the black sheep. Um, but yeah, I just thought like like it, that that line, especially because he's like these are all the, all the Robins are, and like what they what's different about them, but or what makes them special. And it's like Red Hood, Jason, he just he, he's willing to pull the trigger when I'm too much of a pansy. Not no, to. that's not what he's saying. It's I basically mean, what he's saying. He no. does the things that Batman can't. As if Batman's somehow an entity separate from Bruce Wayne in his own actions. Well, and when I the mean, world needs him to. As in, there are times when the world needs people to kill other people, but not Batman. He's not going to get his hands well, sullied with okay, blood. All right. Well, okay. We don't have time for this giant philosophical discussion of why. Oh, does we it... do. Clear the schedule. <laughs> we have a lot of news to talk about too, and uh, and it's there's some very very sad news too. And oh no, no, that I... never mind. Um, what was I going to say about, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, there's the whole thing of why doesn't Batman just kill the Joker? Because that's not who Batman is. But does Bruce Wayne not recognize, you know, you know, Batman turns people over to the criminal justice system, who it, which in Gotham is just a revolving door. But he never says, like, I'm going to turn them over to you entirely for rehabilitation like i think he hopes for rehabilitation but he knows that if you guys need to throw him on the electric chair like go ahead and throw him on the electric chair if the justice system does that if they stand trial and are right. found guilty and goes through the whole thing that and right. I, that i get like i but if that's batman's stance the fact that he's okay like he not that he's okay with it but that he can sort of What's what I'm looking for? It's not that he's obviously he's. I know he's not okay with Jason running around shooting any old people in the face as right. you know he completes his missions. But the idea that he sort of writes it off, like I think he's just saying that uh, that Jason Todd uses guns when Batman can't. When like Batman's like in a situation, it's like man, I really wish I had someone giving me cover fire. And then Jason Todd's like bam, 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 bam. He's like, oh, thank you, Jason Todd. Yeah, but it Jason again alien. shoots the kill, and that's again the way that Bruce raises Damien rubber bullets is like. Like the, the every time Damien's killed, it's been such a huge freaking deal for Bruce. I think he's only killed once since he's been Robin, and that was nobody. Though he uh, claimed, no, I think he killed someone in Batman. Inc. I'm trying to remember, but I'm pretty sure he killed. I don't think he did. He gets yeah. killed. He gets murdered. With a sword but no, in one the of the earlier issues chest. of Batman Inc. I think the second volume. He kills someone. I don't remember. And that means you're wrong. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's just one of those things where they've sort of created the Bat family. And that's cool. And that's one of the problems. Like, what 
does make a good Harper Rose story. Like, but yeah, she's she. It's, it's not that she's not a unique character, but the sort of things that she can get up to. And again, like you, I'm not necessarily wasting a lot of brain power figuring this out. So I'm sure someone could very easily think of something unique for her to get involved with. But mm-hmm. she's ultimately at the end of the day, there are so many vigilantes running around Gotham. Like, mm-hmm. what really makes her stand out? And again, I'm saying this with full disclosure. Like, I like Harper Rowe. Yeah, I'm sort of just thinking broader and objectively. Well, it's like I. You know, if you ask me, I don't like Stephanie Brown. We have told all the Stephanie Brown stories we are ever going to tell as far as humanity is concerned. But there are people out there who are like, I've got a really cool Stephanie Brown story in mind. And I really hope one day I get to tell it. And good for them. Just don't tell it in my uh, in, in any of my Batman books that I read. That's <laughs> all I ask. Uh, but so... Batman and Robin Eternal, you seem like you're kind of lukewarm on the event. I'm still enjoying it. I mean, these event books, I don't have high expectations. No, it's not, like, not, saying I, that, not saying that you do either, but I think I'm, I might be enjoying it a little bit more than you. I definitely enjoy certain beats. I, I certainly have not not been enjoying it. Because you, you sound like you're saying you hate it. No, it's not what I'm saying. I mean, yeah, definitely lukewarm is probably one of the better words. It's but not so lukewarm that like I don't. I'm not interested in seeing how the story shakes out. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's the word on the bird. The bird, Robin bird, bird. bird. Oh, Robin. I was so glad that Damian Wayne finally showed up in this storyline. <laughs> he basically shows up in a lot of last page cliffhanger being like, now that the real Robin's here, does basically is there to re- re- rally the he's, team. Yeah, he's basically there to be Batman. He rallies the team, and then he just kind of goes off to be a side character. For, I mean, obviously there's three issues left, but I can't imagine Damien's going to become one of the central focus characters I mean, let's, going let's, into the conclusion. Let's, let's be honest. Aside from Grayson, he's the only character in the Bat family that has his own book. Yeah, That's true. I saw you just hit yourself on the face. Yeah, it's cool. Um, I mean, the, this book, I feel like, has been a lot more about Dick, uh, Tim, and Jason's exploits more than any other character. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I feel like it hasn't... It's definitely said a lot about Dick. Um, it's said a lot about Dick. <laughs> Dick. Don't we all? <laughs> um, a little bit... Uh, a certain amount about Tim. I would say it probably goes Dick, Tim. And then Jason has definitely been prominent. I feel like it hasn't revealed a whole lot about his character or made a lot of fundamental changes to it. Mm-hmm. But I really cannot find anything about anybody that Damien killed aside from nobody. I'm also really ready for Jason to stop wearing the jacket and the stupid red mask. I just, I don't mind the red mask if, if artists were consistent from issue to issue on how the damn thing looks. This was also an issue in Eternal. Like, one person's going to draw it where it's just like a completely like red featureless mask, which I think looks a lot cooler. And then some guys are going to watch it where like there's eyes, and then some are going to do where it has a face, and some are going to do it where the mouth moves. It's just Come on, guys. It's not hard. They should, they should make him look like a Destiny character. One of those, like, right. uh, armored mask Destiny characters. I think right. that would be cool. Um, but also just get rid of the Red Hood identity completely. Get rid of the stupid jacket. It's so 90s. But who would he be if he's not Red Hood? I don't know. I haven't thought that far. But he's Red Hood in the Outlaws. Is there still a Red Hood book in... Uh... There's... Okay, so there was Red Hood and the Outlaws, and then during DCU, they changed it to Red Hood and Arsenal, because Starfire left. Uh, Apparently, there's going to be a new Red Hood Hood and the Outlaws book going into Rebirth. 
Cool. Oh, that that's definitely been a book that I mean I think it's gotten a lot of flack, but it it seems to have had a pretty decent staying power. Like the fact that they even though they transitioned it to Red Hood Arsenal for a bit, like people Did seem to be buying the book. Like they don't want DC doesn't want to let it go. So did not diminish at all. Well, very, very cool. Uh, well, let's see. What else? Uh, anything else you're wanting to talk about before we chug along? No. How's Matt Fraction, Man of Action's uh, Iron Man run treating you? Uh, I've been enjoying it uh, a lot. I mean, I left off right around the right when um, Siege, the Siege event. So it went into the Heroic Age. Um, oh man, that was so long ago. It was a long. It was like 2011, um, which on one hand seems a long time ago, but also not that long ago. And you think about comic books. I mean, you read like 12 to 16 issues of a series a year. Mm-hmm. By and by that I mean through Marvel. Um, so it's really only been like five years since it happened. But whatever, I digress. <laughs> um, you know, and it's good. It's definitely good. Matt Fraction has a voice where he sort of. You can tell on one level he's channeling Robert Downey Jr., but at this point, like Avengers hasn't come out, so he's only had Iron Man one and two. Um, but at the same time, it feels very Matt Fractiony. Mm-hmm. That's like a credible <laughs> critique um, or observation. Um, he's basically at this point where he's rebuilding the company. It's all about the Stark resilient name. A lot of interesting ideas. Really, there was like one issue. Um, where like the Mandarin, he basically runs his own city called Mandarin City, uh, and he uh, kidnaps city. Um, uh, a prestigious filmmaker and his wife, and he basically throws the the wife into a harem and forces the filmmaker to make a movie on the Mandarin's life. And but the Mandarin keeps interjecting and just saying like, "This is all wrong. It's all wrong." And the filmmaker realizes that like everything that the Mandarin is telling about his life is a lie. I'm, I'm imagining like they're they're filming the scene. It's being acted like really hammy. And then, like, the man is like, no, no. And he, like, comes down from his director's chair, and he's got one of those big, you know, like, the classic, like, the thing that direct, like, the director would yell through back in, like, the 20s. And he's got, like, a beret on and really high-waisted pants. He's like, you're doing it all wrong. That's not how it happened. You've got to grab her like this. And then Very similar, actually. Huh. Uh, basically, the, the filmmaker goes on to, like, he he kind of resigns himself to like, he's not getting out of this alive. So he makes, he basically make turns the film into, um, uh, an F you to the Mandarin nice. and basically reveals like the Mandarin, like wasn't like some noble guy born to like a Chinese man and a, a British noble woman that he was like born from a prostitute in a brothel and all this other stuff. Oh, and basically says F you to the Mandarin and he escapes with his wife. But it turns out that the whole time he was trying to make the movie in order to quote unquote free himself, they had conditioned the wife to serve only the Mandarin, and then she proceeded to kill her husband. Wow. And then, yeah, it was a really dark story. So, I mean, just like, but the way that he framed some of the stories, there was another, this was uh, right around the same time that Marvel started their point one initiative. Um, so, like, you had issues like those uh, 500.1, and um, it basically was Tony Stark kind of reliving, like, really early details of his, his superhero career in his life, mm-hmm. and then modern stuff. Um, through the lens of an uh, Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, hmm. which I thought was interesting. So now, haven't we just all been conditioned to uh, serve the Mandarin? A little bit. A little bit. 
Just a little bit. Yeah. But I mean, I'm obviously not done yet. Uh, I'm, I'm basically in the home run stretch here. I maybe got like a year's worth of issues left. Cool. But I mean, it's it's been a, a interesting read. Definitely a, a good character study. I think obviously Bendis' run is too early to kind of shake out and, and all that. But definitely in the last 10 years, it's probably been one of the most defining Iron Man runs besides Warren Ellis's Extremis arc. Extremis. So that's basically it if i finish it and i think that it sticks the landing i'll definitely put it up for recommendation very very cool now uh that is a story arc you should get into if you were like hey what would tony stark look like if he was played by uh by josh holloway Mm -hmm. and pepper potts played by nicole kidman oh is that who he used for the model uh at least in these, I don't. I feel like it wasn't Nicole Kidman at the beginning of the the run, but Salvador Roca was using Nicole Kidman during the heroic age stuff. Hmm. The thing is, I really like seeing Josh Holloway's face for Tony Stark. Like it, it, it does work for me. Yeah, let me see here, Tony Stark. Yeah, you can you can Google Tony Stark, Josh Holloway people, and you will see exactly uh, what I'm talking about. It's not even like, oh yeah, they kind of like look alike. No, it is dead on. Josh Holloway is who he's based on. Uh, and man, Josh Holloway. Really wish that you had a viable career there, buddy. Yeah, we like you. Is the colony still a thing? I think that, it's still on. Did that already get canceled? Because in my head, it's already canceled. Uh, I haven't seen it. Oh, well, I mean, still... I mean, it's still in the first season. Why am I Googling Josh Holloway right now? Oh, I need to watch The Expanse. I hear The Expanse is really good. I watched the first uh, episode. It is good. Hmm. I, my dad was reading the book series, and he loves them. But yeah, I want to. Uh, I want to read them. Yeah. Uh, Josh Holloway is on my screen. He also would have been a good Gambit, and even an Oliver Queen. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely. Uh, I mean, he still could be in the uh, in the movie, I guess, if they wanted to go with a slightly older Green Arrow. Someone even has Catman. Catman. Oh, Cat Catman. What a dark time. <laughs> and Aquaman. He's basically just about any superhero he's listed. Uh, Too bad Guy Pierce was just a one-off villain. I feel like he could have done something. Man, Marvel is really starting to get me with these one-off villains. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Like, how many movies are there going to be? Like, how many movies are you really going to feature the same villain in? But at the same time, like... At least make them better villains. Yeah, or like just throw them in prison and then have them go do a Masters of Evil. How awesome if it instead of doing Infinity War, it was just a big superhero versus Masters of Evil. Yeah, or or they go like they mess with another hero and another storyline, or like they show up where, uh, you know, the opening of one of the movies is, you know, Captain America quickly dealing with, uh, with Killian before going out to do something else, like like the Dark Knight. Yeah, that would have been just so great. But instead, like, no, either uh, kill them or have them kill themselves. Pretty much how it works. I don't even want to move on to news, man. I can't do it. Are you trying to get me to set up Spider-Man and his amazing friends? Spider-Man and his amazing friends! No, because I just, I can't talk about our first two news stories. I'm not emotionally prepared. Uh, all right, listen. I like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He's a cool dude. I've liked like just about all the movies I've probably seen him in. 
Um, it is sad that he's leaving Sandman. He's a creative dude. He's definitely like I know he's had like this thing that he does. Like he's kind of, like likes to be a behind the scenes guy. All right, talk, um, you're trying to talk me out of it here. All right, I'm not talking to... out of it. I'm not talking out of it. I'm just saying like it's it's sad. The problem is like we have no visual of what the, we what two of us expected from his Sandman interpretation. Right. Right. Okay. So the story that we're talking about here is that Joseph Joseph Gordon Levitt has walked out of the Sandman movie over studio creative differences. Now, as you say, we don't know what this was starting to shape up to look like, but Joseph Gordon-Levitt had been very, very vocal and very passionate about the project and was working very closely with uh, with Neil Gaiman, who spoke very highly of Joseph Gordon-Levitt and the way that the two of them were kind of working on the project together. And now with Joseph Gordon-Levitt out, it just has kind of seemed that uh, that Neil Gaiman is not really in any way involved anymore. And it was just really interesting to read people on Twitter uh, come at him because they were like, it's Sandman, it's your character, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, no, uh, DC completely owns the right to Sandman. And, you know, I love the character and I love getting to spend time with him, but... At the end of the day, they still own him. And all he really cares about is the comic books. Yeah, and they've been really respectful in that in that regard. You know, they haven't they they could have done so many other things with Sandman, but they're like, no, this is the story that was told, and it's great and it's classic, and that you know Neil Gaiman wants to come back and do. They'll never know, say no to him six, doing more. Right, six more issues, but they're not gonna like go hire another writer to do it. Okay, first off, at some point, at some point, probably even in our lifetime, DC will capitalize on Sandman, even if Neil Gaiman is not involved. They did it with Before Watchmen, with, you know, and I'm not going to say that Before Watchmen was bad. I haven't had a chance to read a lot of them. <laughs> I, think... I know some people like certain of the miniseries. Right. But there's no, but there's, but DC owns them. There's no way that at some point, Neil Gaiman or not, they won't capitalize on Sandman again. And Neil Gaiman doesn't uh doesn't regret selling the the character off. He said that. I think mm -hmm. part of part of the reason why I think maybe we won't is because the world that it was steeped in was already the Vertigo slash DC world, uh where like a lot of those characters or a number of them already exist in other capacity. Maybe not like Death and Morpheus and... Uh... Well, well, Death actually did show up in an Action Comics run. Oh, yeah. Back I... before the New 52 started, I just before, really. During a Lex Luthor run, actually, in Action Comics. Oh. Um, I mean... I think I had heard that, actually. If I... Rebirth remains to be seen. I, I haven't been too impressed with dc really since the new 52 as like a wide berth they've had some gems but as like a line i haven't been feeling the creative force um but i mean i'd be totally cool with an integrated dc universe that properly handles like the Wildstorm characters even if they reintegrated like planetary or authority more effectively i mean they've obviously done pretty well with midnighter i'd love to see apollo um you know all some of the other characters jack hawksmore yeah so um, sad apollo didn't do well enough to get a book going into a rebirth. Yeah, you know, you never know. It's, it could come around, or they'll. I mean, he's a, fold. 
I mean, Midnight Midnight is canceled going into Rebirth, so they'll probably, I imagine, if not this year, then maybe next year, they'll probably launch a new Stormwatch or Authority right. book and, with and, the characters. And, and he is a character that comes up every few years, whether in his own solo book or as part of a team. Yeah, so I, I'm not too worried there. But definitely like a, a, a more structured and uh, integrated DC universe that also incorporates the Sandman characters. How you would utilize them, how, how would they effectively propel a story forward i don't know but i mean like because they do have an association with the dc universe just because like their series didn't really end in the dc universe it began mm-hmm. there so there's no reason why they can't be utilized in a way as long as it's a good story does it really matter i would love to see like superman talking to morpheus on a rooftop and morpheus talking about all the many different iterations and all you know like the stuff that's happened recently with you know flashpoint or recently five years ago uh like you know like flashpoint and in new 52 and in pre-crisis post-crisis stuff like mm-hmm. i feel like there could be some really interesting fun stuff there and i and like you i wouldn't be against these characters popping up as long as they're handled correctly i wouldn't want to see a sandman book where sandman is going around fighting crime uh unless they want to revive the golden age sandman which is a guy in a green suit with a golden mask and a fedora and in that case i will th- yeah. i will throw my money at dc as hard as i can because what the hell is that character gonna do in this day and age i don't know what i'm in yeah i mean i definitely couldn't see i mean i don't think it's impossible but not to say there aren't more stories you could tell with morpheus but like sort of like what they've done with john constantine they've fully integrated him back into the dc universe hellblazer you know he's he's there he's doing stuff um i mean they could totally do the same thing with sam and obviously constantine's constantine sorry I oh oh, oh constantine um old habits die hard um you know, kind of is, is obviously a different beast than than Morpheus, but I could st- still see some of the name. The, the, are they called the nameless? No, the endless. To some of the endless um, showing up in, in various supporting capacities or guest spots. You know, just sort of like an awareness that like they're part of this world too. Mm-hmm. Especially if they had like a shadow packed book again, or some kind of magic supernatural related book that kind of you know Justice League Dark. Like they could show up as supporting characters there. Ooh. Who were all of the endless? I was trying to remember this the other day. As we're both googling right now, uh, okay. Oh, wow. Well, you're googling. I'll get off. I'll go on to the next news source. Oh, uh, this one. Yeah. Okay. What? I already found it. Okay. Oh, okay. Their uh, death, destiny, despair, desire, delirium, and Sandman or dream. Never caught on. They all begin with D before, but they do. Actually, I probably did when I was first reading it, but I just can't remember them all. Did you ever read Sandman in its entirety? Uh, I guess he's no longer considered Dream. He's Sandman. Uh, I haven't finished it still. Is I this... have a bunch of issues on Comicsology, and usually whenever they do like a... Is this them a... drawn by Frank Quitely? That's yes. awesome. <laughs> okay, anyway. I can't see what you're looking at, but I know exactly what picture you're referring to. Yeah, uh, I, I need to finish it. I, I'm, you know, it's one of those books where I'm slowly buying the volumes over years and years at this point. <laughs> you definitely have to be. Uh, I was just talking with one of uh, Anna's sister's boyfriend. I was te- uh, texting him today, and I let him borrow Marvel sixteen oh two like 
100 years ago. Uh, and he's like, yeah, like, you know, I put it down and I'm just picking it up again. Uh, and I forgot how much, like, I loved it. But I'm like, yeah, you know, Neil Gaiman, he's a very dense read. Mm-hmm. But, like, once you get into the story, once the gears start turning, like, he really sucks you in and you yeah. can't let it go. I kind of want to reread American Gods kind of hitting that place. I, think I need I'm... to finish American Gods. Yeah, you Gods. do. The TV show is coming up. I should probably get done before then. With Ian McShane. I think I have the uh, audiobook for it, too. That might make it easier for me. All right, Nick, what's the next news story? <sighs> I, I don't want to believe it. This one makes me, this actually legitimately makes me sad if it <laughs> comes to pass, or uh-huh. in this case doesn't come to pass. But basically, Ron Perlman does not feel confident that Hellboy 3 will ever happen. Yeah, this one, this one sucks. This was one, I mean, this makes more sense to me than all the Joseph Gordon-Levitt stuff because it was, we just kind of, I think, accepted consciously or subconsciously that, okay, Hellboy 2 happened and it's been how many years now uh, where hellboy 2 came out in 2008 so holy moly i know right so probably so it had been like seven years we hadn't really heard anything i think subconsciously we'd all moved on been like cool that was those were two really fun movies and then you know some excitement kind of came back up uh where like oh they you know guillermo del toro like ron perlman's always really into it guillermo del toro is now really interested in it again and he's kind of got some mojo going right now uh, and that kind of fell apart, and then we didn't hear anything else, and now Ron Perlman's like, uh, on second thought, I'm old. First off, if Guillermo del Toro, I like the movies that do come out by him, but I just don't trust the guy. What, what he don't you trust He is attached about? to so many things that he ultimately steps out on. Or walks away, or... It's not, and it's not even like you ever hear creative differences. Like, it's just like... He's like attached to this. He's supposedly developing it, and then he steps away, just steps away. So it's like, if anything, I I don't obviously I don't think that maybe by, through like whatever Paramount or whoever, uh, I'm not sure who is the studio for the Hellboy movies, but I I think that if Guillermo del Toro really made a case for it, they would give him the capital to make it. I feel like it's really like he. I don't know. Because the, the, those movies kind of like are, are going big budget, and I and I like Del Toro's stuff a lot, but I can't think of a lot of things that he is really, uh, you know, been hitting home with. I mean, Crimson Peak, as far as I know, was not a really big success. Well, his movies are never a success, but they're generally I critically guess, good. Uh, I guess uh, Pacific Rim was enough of a success to warrant a sequel that he is also not directing which is a bummer uh, but but i would say as opposed to other movies pacific rim did not have uh, yeah pacific rim was actually a, a pretty big hit 190 million budget 411 million box office uh his movies like that that movie opposed to something like pan's labyrinth didn't really have didn't scream del toro to me the monsters definitely did and i, I love those uh, but he'll still be involved there. Now, Crimson Peak. Uh, All right. So apparently, there's this article million, on Cinema Blend. Seventy-four million box office. Yeah. Uh, this is two years ago, apparently. But basically, Guillermo Toro chalks it up to that the studio doesn't want to finance the movie. Hellboy three. For Hellboy three, yeah. Yeah. 
I almost wish that they would just do a Kickstarter for it. Because you know if they made a Kickstarter, they would find the capital. Some people might say that that's not what Kickstarter should be used for to finance a, it, like a, 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 budget, a big budget Hollywood film. It, but it, I don't think they would find the capital because what the highest grossing one is only – I mean it's been a, a few million but not anywhere close that you need for a Hellboy movie. Yeah, the highest one is the is the uh, I almost said like you're solid. It's the Mystery Science Theater uh, Kickstarter, and I think what they were ten plus million. Hey, just editing in here real quick to say uh, before anybody emails in that I realize that Mystery Science Theater is actually not the highest backed Kickstarter with its five million dollars. Uh, it is uh, there was a, a watch that got twenty million. I still don't think that a movie could make fifty uh, on Kickstarter, but I'm I'm just popping in here before emails roll in to tell me that I'm wrong. Uh, I already know. Thanks. Well, okay. I mean, obviously Deadpool. Oh no, not even ten plus million. They got uh, sorry five million seven hundred sixty four thousand dollars was their total. And they're like the highest, most successful Kickstarter. Apparently, Hellboy Two was nominated for an Oscar. Uh, I think for one of the sound effect thingies. Not sound effect thingies. Academy Awards was nominated for Visual best achievement in makeup. Makeup, that was it. You'd think I'd figure that one out. For Screen Actors Guild Awards, outstanding performance by a stunt ensemble and a motion picture. Right. Not what we're here to discuss, but I totally get you. Uh, oh yeah, Shenmue Three was also a thing that happened. Getting off a of Kickstarter right now, but I mean, Deadpool was still fifty million. They're not going to get fifty million dollars. How, how much was the budget for Hellboy Two? That's what I was trying to find. Oh, phew. Hellboy Two. Uh, the budget was. I think I had just mentioned it a moment ago. It was over eighty-five. Eighty-five no, million. It's more than that. I'm looking at it right now. From it's 85. On, on, it's, on sorry, it's estimated at about 85 million. Okay, yeah, 85 million. I guess you're right, but still, they're not going to get that money on Kickstarter. How much does Shenmue make? Well, only six no, million. The, the highest grossing thing was less than six million, and that was oh. Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh. Well, they could get some of it. I don't know. No. It's, 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 can't they just go to like Bill Gates make a wish or whatever foundation Bill Gates runs and just ask him Bill and like, Melinda Gates Foundation come on yeah that one that, that one that one that one make a wish foundation Nick stop it stop it He's such a guy um, I love uh, I love Del Toro but he is you know he's kind of cursed not really I just am really bummed that uh, that the Silent Hills movie is, or game isn't happening. And uh, I have you have you ever watched the Silent Hills playable teaser that came out? It was a playable teaser. So this thing came out uh, last year. It was called PT Playable Teaser, and uh, it came out on the PlayStation Store. And what it was is you are this guy going through this hallway on this kind of continual loop, and things like break down, and there's puzzles, and it gets like really freaking creepy. Uh, and it's it turned out to be a, a a teaser trailer for Silent Hills, the new Silent Hill game that was going to be directed by Guillermo del Toro and Hideo Kojima and starring Norman Reedus. 
Yeah, I mean, I knew about it. I yeah, didn't know they had a playable teaser. went insane, uh, but it's not happening now. And I have tried to watch the playable teaser a few times. Like, on my phone at work in the middle of the day, nope. Too freaking creepy. I can't do it. I can't get through it. <sighs> Let's move on to some bittersweet news that's still also depressing. And that is that Amazon has ordered a, uh, a a pilot for the tick that's uh that's pretty neat but here's the thing that sucks patrick warburton star of the original tick live action series is not expected to be involved in the pilot that's a shame but i mean like i'd be surprised if he'd come back anyway well he really wanted to but i guess oh. he's yeah he, he'd been a big proponent of it for years uh, he currently stars in Crowded, an NBC sitcom set to debut next week. So we'll see. Hopefully that bombs. <laughs> right. If it bombs, then I'm sure he'll be freed up. Uh-huh. Uh, now, we don't know who's, uh, you know, Ben Edlund is on board as writer, executive producer, and two actors have been cast in the pilot. Griffin, Griffin Newman as uh, the Tick sidekick, Arthur, and Valerie Curry as his sister, Dot Everest. Uh, I don't know who Griffith Newman is. But I don't think it was the guy that played him uh, in the. Uh, apparently, Original. yeah. Apparently, Griffith Newman was not his name, as I'm trying to look at. Griffin Newman. You'd think that I would uh, be able to read, considering that's what I do for a living. Is well, if, uh, Patrick yeah, Warburton. Not, not the same guy, so. No, uh, if, if uh, Patrick Warburton, uh, you Warburton. know, doesn't make it in, I'll be curious who they do get to. It just because I, I remember watching the original live action show as a kid with my my mom. And my brother, and I, I mean, I loved it, of course. Mm -hmm. But um, I mean, he just brought like he was the tick. Oh, like, obviously, can't say that someone else can't fulfill that role. But I just like can't picture who anyone in the current landscape that might be. Right, and maybe it's not anybody in the current landscape that we know that could pull someone out uh, from somewhere. They get Dwayne the Rock Johnson to do it, Oof. and just paint him blue, and it would be the greatest thing that has ever happened to humanity ever. Ah. <sighs> But it's uh, this is still exciting, you know. Amazon's thing is that they do the whole pilot idea, and then people go on and vote for it. So when this is coming, people, we will let you know when you can go on and watch it and and voice your interest. Uh, there's also some plot details of the Tick pilot, saying the title will be recovering that the title character will be covering from memory loss. Yep, and we'll end up reteaming with Arthur to fight evil. So it's supposed to be a sequel. Hmm. Huh. Arthur will be labeled as a schizophrenic because of his statements that evil plans to rule the city and no one believes him until he runs into Tick. Eh, interesting. I mean, who knows if it's going to be a continuation or if it's going to be something new. If they're already doing a new Arthur, maybe just do a new Tick. I'd be fine. Who played Arthur in the original? Uh, is a guy that I have no idea. Cool. Yeah, I know that uh, Nestor Carbonell was Batman well. Batman well. Oh, man. If if there is going to be any character that returns, and it, it, it's it got to be Batman well. It was Batman. He was just inspired in that role. Uh, Arthur was played by David Burke. Who... That Nestor Carbonell played Batman well? Oh, yeah. But as opposed to the other Nestor Carbonell, you know, the uh, the the sous chef in the Chili's in Des Moines, Iowa. Oh, man, I'd never... Yeah, Richard, like, Richard I, it's not Fumalist. who I pictured in my head. 
Who did you think I meant? I don't know. I just didn't have. I didn't think about who he was in my head until I saw his photo. That is crazy. I love it. I love it. Anyway, anyway, next news story. A uh, big news story. Yes. I don't talk big news story, but it's new Civil War trailer came out uh, for Captain America Civil War, and it is the first MCU visual we have of Spider-Man and his amazing friends. No, it's really more like we've seen his amazing friends and now we're seeing Spider-Man. You try. (laughs) Hey, that one worked. Um, So there's some, like basically we've, I don't think the trailer said anything new about the overall plot and where it's going to shake out. We've seen things like the the fate of Rhodey, a war machine, for those that don't know. Uh, I mean, we don't honestly know if he truly dies or not. I wish they weren't showing that so much. Good lord. It's going to mean nothing when it happens in the theater now. Yeah. Oh, no. The, I, I mean, it's one thing to show Spider Man, but like the fact that they are telegraphing War Machines, either grievous injury or death. In every trailer and TV spot. Yeah. It's like, uh, come on, guys. You're better than this. Yeah. You're better than this. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but so it really hasn't, didn't say anything new. There was definitely some new scenes. Like you see Black Panther. Um, you know, in civilian um, clothes, uh, surviving a bomb attack, presumably what might set him on his war path against Winter Soldier. Um, you and, know, and uh, but other than that, it really just kind of expands on stuff we already know, like why the Sokovia Accords are what they are, and, and that something about Bucky sort of sets Iron Man and Captain America against each other. And he's, uh, we see him being a badass, chase down a motorcycle on foot. Oh, Black Panther? Yeah. Yeah, that scene, and that when he grabs him, like... Awesome. How enhanced is right, it's, Bucky supposed to be? I know he has the no. metal arm, but I mean, like, he literally gets pushed off a motorcycle, and then you see him tumbling with Black Panther. I don't know. Black Panther's suit also allows him to absorb the impact of bullets being Black fired. Black Panther I'm not worried about. He's got, you know, either through the suit or something, he's got extra protection. But uh, Winter Soldier was just wearing, you know, a jacket. Yeah, you know he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. He's fine. I mean, he's got he's got some level of the super soldier serum in him. I feel like that's kind of been hinted at. Whatever they were doing to him in uh in Russia in the in the first Captain America movie, mm. he was being mm. experimented on. I don't think but, he goes to Russia in the movies. I think he's just picked it? up by Hydra. But weren't they in Russia when they go and like save him? Well, I know in the comics he was in the English channels. I don't think they were in Russia in the first Avenger. Where were they? I don't know. But he was, anyway, he was with Hydra for a period of time. Uh, so, yeah, we got our first look at Spider-Man. I thought that all the Black Panther stuff was a lot cooler, but, hey, it, the, the internet went uh, bat shit crazy for Spider-Man today. And guess what? He looks like Spider-Man. It's funny because if you didn't want to see, if you were trying to avoid this trailer because you didn't want to see what Spider-Man looked like, I'm sorry that everybody in the world doesn't care and are posting pictures of Spider-Man everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah, yeah, there's no avoiding that. It's really kind of disappointing. I'm like, I was disappointed they showed him in the trailer, but now I've seen probably just today 14 pictures, 18 GIFs. I'm even getting posts from Spider-Man's Facebook page. I don't 
follow Spider-Man on Facebook. But I digress. So yeah, it's 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 almost like I might as well have watched the trailer because I didn't necessarily see too much that was new. But I was definitely not going to be able to avoid seeing Spider-Man, even if I tried to help it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, he looks cool. He looks like Spider-Man. There's definitely some tweaks, like some black and all that. I think, like you were saying, the idea is probably that he has a really crappy homemade suit, mm-hmm. and that Stark kind of when he recruits him, recruits him, gives him something, which, you know, which is yeah, which, which is cool. So I mean, it's like a suit that might work for this if he either turns sides or whatever. I mean, like if for some reason Stark and him have a falling out, if you can call it that. Like when you go when you when we make it into the Spider-Man movie, like he's not obviously gonna always go to Stark to get his suit replaced. If it gets destroyed in a battle, like he's gonna have to come up with something different and probably something closer to his normal costume. So I'm I'm glad with the idea that hey, this kid from uh, you know, this kid from Queens, he's from Queens, right? Yeah. Yeah, this kid from Queens uh can't make this super advanced like suit that. You know, he actually has to go to a superhero to get it made. It's always been fine in the comics, but in the movies, they just kind of hand wave it away that he just like gets this suit somehow, and uh, you know, he's like, well, they always show him making it. Eh, not really. Like he like it's, okay in the first Spider Man, they show him designing it, going through a couple different iterations, yeah, and, and then, then he, they time and he, jump and he has and it. He has you it. just and, assume that he either made it somehow. And then in, um, and then, in, in, in Amazing, Amazing Spider Man, he's he looking it. at spandex suits. He's like, no, 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 and then he has it. Which, whatever, it's fine. But I like that the idea that this, you know, guy can't just make it. He's not a seamstress. Uh, it's uh, I don't like I don't like the eyes. I don't, you know, I get the I, the idea of hey, let's have them emote, and why that would be really cool. I don't like the way they're doing it though. I as I said to you, I don't like when the eyes have a lot of black around them. That's never I've really been my favorite design. But, hey, Deadpool had an emotive face. I totally get it. And, I mean, they still find ways to show Tony Stark's face. So they want you to see the people under the mask on some level. Except how are they going to do that with Black Panther? I don't know. Questions, questions. Uh, yeah, he looks he looks cool. He looks fine. It didn't, it didn't have me going bananas because we've already had two different iterations of Spider-Man in movies. Uh, and we'll see how this one shapes up. Oh, I remember finally what I was going to say. I don't I don't know why Tony Stark would go and recruit him. I'd be, I'd be curious to see how he plays into the plot of this movie, considering a lot of it is, hey, the Avengers, even though we've saved the world, have caused a lot of destruction and there needs to be some sort of regulation or oversight on that. Uh, where does Spider-Man, a street-level kid, play into that? Why wouldn't they go get, like, Daredevil? Or someone else previously? It's like, yeah, I'm, just, I, I, I'm having a hard time seeing what his part in the story will be. How cool would it have been if Daredevil had shown up in the movie? I mean, they definitely get a robust cast. I always hate when people say there's too many characters in the movie. Uh, there's too many characters for a Captain America movie. Okay, it's not even that. We live. It, it's an ensemble universe. It is supposed to be a Captain America movie. We can't say until we actually see it how much of it is a Captain America movie, how much of it isn't. If most of the characters are just kind of there to fall in line, 
they can still be a Captain America movie. They're just his supporting cast. Um, so there. I can't but, remember where I was going with that. But we also see that a lot of other characters are going to have big moments. Like, like uh, okay, Hawkeye. I don't think he's going to have a big moment. Scarlet Witch, there's like a scene where she fights the Vision. Other than that, I don't think she's going to have a big moment. I think it's going to be like Steve, Bucky, Iron Man, uh, maybe some Black Widow, and then basically Rhodey, who'll probably just end up dead anyway. That's his character development. He'll dead. And then Black Panther kind of shows up to kind of be introduced and maybe does a little bit. But beyond that, like, most of the characters are just kind of there to be cool and fill in space. We'll see. I mean, we'll see how it all shakes out and plays down. Oh, no. Yeah. See, it's, it's really funny to me that people heard rumor. Oh, Batman V Superman. Hey, Aquaman might just show up. There might be a cameo appearance. Everyone's like, there's 18 different heroes in Batman V Superman. It's too many people. And now, like, with this movie, it's like, hey, guys, there's going to be, like, 85 characters. And they're like, can we get Spider-Man in there? You know, people are always like, this is what we want. Like, we want to see all the cool characters be in, in one movie together. If, as long as you don't go in assuming that everyone's going to get the same level of right, exposure right. and screen yeah, time, and that's, then and that's it's what, whatever. No, and that's, and that's going to be a thing. A lot of these characters will probably be kind of relegated to that one big fight scene uh, where it'll be versus, and I don't really get how they're going to resolve that. How is everyone going to walk away as friends? How could they? Well, I think the climax of the movie takes place on that mountain base. Or right. Whatever. Well, yeah, and the climax is going to be. Oh, but I Bucky. still, I still feel like there's got to be a villain that's pulling some strings from. Well, the there's background. Baron Zemo. That's true, and they, they, but they haven't played that up at the trailers and all. Which, for the general audience, that's going to be really cool. For us, it's, you know, whatever. We we see what's coming. So we have a feeling that Crossbones sort of incites the final incident that tips the scales towards the Sokovia Accords. Um, but beyond that, and presumably he's working with Baron Zemo. Right. But I'd almost be interesting if, like, Baron Zemo's the villain in the movie, but he doesn't do anything. Like, he was working with Crossbones, and Crossbones inside that inf- incident. But other than that, like, he never interacts. The, her- the heroes never engage him. You just know he's... He's the one responsible for setting he's, them against each other, an, but he never actually gets engaged. He's an entity that could be resolved later. Could I mean, I don't know where they would between this movie and then Infinity War. I don't think they'd waste them in there. Well, no, but just to hear, like, if they hear the name Baron Zemo and then, you know, like, oh, well, whoever that guy is, we'll deal with that after this purple guy comes down and punches us with this golden gauntlet that's going to break the universe and probably just, kill the Vision. I, I'm... Definitely interested, like, it would have been interesting to see what Joss Whedon's vision may have been for Infinity War if he was ever remotely attached to it. Or if the stars had aligned and he did do it. Just going with the way that Avengers and Age of Ultron kind of were. Um, But I, just based on this trailer, like, the aesthetic that the Russo brothers brings to both Winter Soldier and to this, like, it's just, it's identifiable, but it's exciting, it's kinetic, you feel the impact, I feel. Both with the fight scenes, at least in the trailer, and of course in Winter Soldier, I thought the the set pieces were very impactful. So I'm just really curious, like these both Winter Soldier and this, like have been fairly street, so to speak. What so it's interesting street? how they handle a big cosmic event. Uh, what do you mean street? You know, like Avengers was fighting aliens. 
uh, Age of Ultron was fighting like robots with like a falling mountain and stuff. Winter Soldier was a political thriller. Like, yeah, there was helicarriers falling out of the air, but it was still fairly quote unquote grounded. I'm obviously using the term loosely. Yeah, I would say that's a pretty loose definition. Um, and this, and one, this like movie is just about like other superheroes fighting superheroes and fantastic stuff is happening, but it's it's on the backdrop of like a political divide, so to speak. An ideological divide. Yeah. I don't know. We shall see. Movies coming out uh, in a couple months. May 6th. You and I are going to go see it together, right? We are going to talk about that. We're going to totally just go see it together. It's just going to be great. And then one last thing on the Spider-Man suit. It's just funny because the way that the the trailer is very real. A lot of characters are kind of... Uh, muted colors and, and kind of dirty, like everyone's been wrestling in the mud for a while. And then at the end of the trailer, Spider-Man, you know, jumps around, lands on the whatever the heck he's standing on, and he's just so clean, pristine, and like clearly CGI. He's so CGI. I didn't really love it. I didn't love it. Yeah, I just, I mean, it, it was very, very. I'm looking at this high-res version of the of Spider-Man, and like you can see the little details, but it's really hard to tell if that is in fact a man in a suit or a CGI rendition. Yeah, it's, I'm sure it'll look, this, this could be an issue where it looks really great on screen, but even like watching some Iron Man, like Debbie was watching Avengers two and I walked in and, uh, and you know, Iron Man walked in on a scene and just didn't look amazing. There were a few, like in the beginning. Uh, I can't remember where it was. There's actually a few times in Avengers two where the CGI was a little disappointing. Uh, there's definitely like there's like there's this shot when uh, when one of the Iron Legion in the in the near the beginning when Ultron does his first attack in the Avengers Tower, and uh, he the Iron Legion like grabs the scepter and then flies out like the CGI in that in that scene is not very good, uh, but yeah, Digital Ultron had some problems. It did have some problems. Uh, speaking of problems i don't know that's not a good segue here but uh jim lee has announced who the writer is going to be on suicide squad following rebirth which uh i did not know that jim lee was going to be the artist on suicide squad following rebirth one of the artists and probably for 10 seconds yeah it's a jim lee sort of thing to do but anyway rob williams is the upcoming writer of the Suicide Squad. Uh, Rob Williams, what else has he done? <laughs> so he's currently been doing DC's Martian Manhunter book. Oh, cool. Uh, he I had a like stint on, on a Ghost Rider at Marvel. Um, what Rob Williams got his start on a ComX book, a small independent publisher uh, that I don't think you've heard of, that did a book called Class War, and the two S's are dollar signs. Yeah, with art by uh, by Trevor Hairsign. Come on. Yep, and uh, Travel Foreman. They both got their start there before Marvel snaps them up. Um, so I I own like three versions of Class War. I have it digital. I have a collected edition, and I have the original single issues. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it. I mean, the book's good. Like, don't get me wrong, but there was something about it that I was very much drawn to when I was what middle school or whatever when it came out mm-hmm. that uh and this was a book that kind of preceded some of like the the it was i think it started pre 9-11 or just or just post 9-11 or something like that uh, it was very like prophetic class, in some ways class four um, was uh 2002 
2002. So the year after, but I think before a lot of, it was, it was anyway. interesting. Um, it was a good book. So Robin Williams, Rob, Robin Williams. Oh God. Now I'm sorry. I know. Um, Rob Williams, uh, is definitely a writer that can, he can bring it home. So I'll be very, I'll definitely be curious to check out what he brings to Suicide Squad. It's a book that, it's a concept that I like. I'm excited for the movie. And I, I, I am curious, and this is again where I wish DC would have their own subscription subscription service like Marvel Unlimited. I would purchase that in a heartbeat. Um, you know, I want to read the original run with the John Ostrander run. Uh, so I'll be curious what Rob Williams brings to it. I hope that he really is able to bring his voice that it's not too editorially mandated. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it remains to be seen. But, I mean, good writer choice, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I like the idea Lee had said uh, picking – or his favorite part of working on Suicide Squad is picking B or C-level characters to bring to stardom. I th- you're going to have uh, – you know, you'll have your Harley Quinn. You'll have your Deadshot still kind of be at the front. But just the idea that Suicide Squad is the playground for the, uh, you know, for the B team, for the second and third roster characters. Mm. And I hope that they like they continue that and we get some more, you know, we get people out. Of course, for a little while, it's going to reflect the movie crew. But uh, when you get some distance, I'll be curious to see who they decide to, to bring in and have some fun with. Nick, Yeesh. what else is going on? What else is going on indeed? It turns out that a, there will be a DC slash Boom Studios crossover mm. between the Kids of Gotham Academy and the Lumberjane series. Yeah. Interesting. It's not something it's one it's it's almost like it works and yet it's completely surprising. Yeah, this is really exciting. It's gonna be written by uh by China Cluxton Flores. I apologize for butchering your name. Uh, with art by Rosemary Valerio O'Connell, who uh, actually recently got their like first work published on a Lumberjanes one-shot. So they're oh, yeah. new to the scene. Uh, the crossover is set for June, and it actually it has the uh, Gotham Academy kids going to the Miss Quinzella Thisquin Pinnaquil Thistle Crumpets Camp. Wow, that's a mouthful. And this is uh, Boom's first ever intercompany crossover. Oh, good for them. Yeah, this kind of, I think, has two exciting uh, two exciting things behind it. One is that, that this is saying that, hey, Gotham Academy is, is really successful, and we think it's successful enough to go, you know, put these characters and have fun with them elsewhere. And it's mm. also saying that Boom Studios is really making a name for themselves. With uh, books like Lumberjanes and uh, and the success from Power Rangers, they're they're stepping up in the world. And I mean, Mark Wade was their editor in chief for a while, and his uh, irredeemable and uh, incorruptible books um, were very oh, successful. Yeah. See, so yeah, I Boom's always... Boom's got a, a niche that they they fill. They they find good work. Yeah, I just I feel like they are kind of coming a little bit more prominent in the, in the into focus in the limelight, as it were. But this is really cool. I've really been wanting to read Lumberjanes, and I remember we talked about uh, what's it called uh, Gotham Academy a long time ago, and said, "Hey, this stuff's really cool," but it wasn't for us. Uh, and you know, this just proves there's a market out there, Nick, that we are not uh, the target audience for every book. 
That's, I can't believe it. Why aren't, is not every book catered to straight white males like us? They should be. Let me tell just, you. I'm just saying. It's everyone else. All the women and the, the non-straight white male people are getting all this focus. But not us. Yeah. It's a shame. We just it's had, a shame. Man, I just imagine somebody catching taking that phrase and just Ooh, running out of with context it. just yeah. and like wow a show These with white male supremacists like no 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 like I mean, they're not, my best friend i swear they're not entirely wrong i mean what what, what? what? the white are you saying the white right, so are you a white supremacist or a male supremacist oh man are the two mutually or, exclusive or a straight really? supremacist are you uh, the ss the su- <laughs> the straight supremacist I'm a straight supremacist. I'm a member of the SS. <laughs> oh, uh, God. No one listened to the last 30 seconds of the show. Yeah, erase it from your memories, people. We, the only thing that we're supremacists about is comic books. We're comic supremacists. Comic master race. Yep. Everything should be a comic book. Those, books, those books you like, comic books. Those TV shows you like, comic books. Music, comic books. Comic books. In other news, Justice League, the comic, mm. has been delayed until May. Now, uh, the article is kind of like, doesn't even really know what it's talking about. I mean, yeah. it, the book, issue number 50, the last, which I don't think they even mentioned this, the last issue of Jeff Johns' run. So Jeff Johns and Jason Fabak, who've uh, been working on the no, book issue through. No, fi- issue 51. No, it's issue 50. Well, yeah, but issue 51 was, is still coming out after. Yeah, okay, so that's probably pushed in. Maybe they'll even cancel it. But basically, issue number 50 was supposed to be their last run. I think it's supposed to set up the uh, assumed Lex Luthor, the Superman book for Rebirth. Uh-huh. Um, but I mean, like, it's delayed, but it's supposed to come out the same month as um, the DC Universe Rebirth one-shot or whatever that Jeff Johns is writing. The same so, day as the Rebirth. Like the same day. So you read Justice League, and then you read the Rebirth one-shot. So it's really not a big deal. Right. Um as far as like whatever issue number one or number two might actually be, I don't really know. I don't really care. It's obviously not going to be consequential. No, this is obviously this is what we get every day with Marvel release schedules. What on time? What no? Where okay, guys, uh, look the event. Here's here's the event that's happening. It's totally going to set up all the storylines after. Uh, so really great. Uh, well, too bad the storylines are going to catch up before the event's over. Man, we've been into the storyline for three months now. Here's the final uh, book of the event that's going to set up all those books you've been reading for three months. <laughs> the Marvel way is okay. <laughs> it's working for them. And that's really it. I threw in another story that Marvel is doing Civil War-themed variants, not yeah. tied to Civil War II, but they're simply variants for regular issues of a comic that used the Civil War cover dress. Yeah, from from the original Civil War, for those who don't remember, it is you have an image in the top half, and the second half is a solid color, and the title of the book, and then the word Civil War. I think they only have two listed here, but there'll probably be a few more. Uh, it's, it's literally like, besides the fact that it's, it's an iconic, quote, cover dress, it's oh, like it? for a variant, I'm like... Why would I pay extra money no, for it's, a cover it's, that is half a cover? Yeah, it's ridiculous. And it is it happening next month already? Jeez. Our, Civil War Two doesn't come out until June. So why is Old Man Logan is Old Man Logan number four not coming out until June? 
No, no. That's why I said these are independent from Civil War Two. It's Look, just a, an homage month. Look, can we just go ahead and get uh, a re-release of Next Wave Agents of Hate? Mark no. Millar licks goats. Well, this brings... I don't want you to be happy. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Too real. Too... With all the news that we've talked about today, uh, I'm so dead inside. You are recommendation time. Why don't we have a sound effect for sound effect for recommendations? Uh, because you're just a dick. I don't know. There we go. There's I, one. I need uh. Well, you boys aren't nerds, are you? There you go. We be, are nerds. We are nerds, and we're going to recommend... Stern father figure type from a 1980s John Hughes movie or something. Wait, that's Space Ghost. Whatever. <laughs> Shut up, you nerd. <laughs> he was right. Um, so my recommendation today, David is correct, is not a comic book. I'm so upset with you. Okay. I'm pretty sure you've done recommended things that are only tangentially related to comic books. This is related to comic books. The main actor in the in the show don't even don't rock. even don't even pull he, this bullshit. And he will be playing Black Adam in the upcoming Shazam movie. I so. want to reach through the internet and strangle you. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm recommending the HBO show Ballers because I decided to watch the entire first season in two days. Watch they're um, only like 27 minute episodes and there's only 10 of them. So it was not like the most arduous undertaking. It wasn't too strenuous. It was, it was not too strenuous. Um, it's a show called ballers. It's about, um, basically football. And I'm not even a football guy. I like the rock. I just have to say is that the rock, the rock is is a very underrated actor. He's a wonderful human being. he, He does well. He does well. I also think he lives locally, which is pretty cool, but I'm not hundred percent sure. I'm sure he's all over the world. Anyway, um, basically it's him and that guy from the hot tub time machine movies. Oh, that narrows uh, it down. Hot tub time machine. Just to describe him. Uh, bald. Rob Cord- Cordry. Rob funny Cordry. guy kind of plays the, the same character in every, in everything he does, but, but funny guy. So basically, um, I stopped doing blow, not being awesome. <laughs> um, the, the rock is, um, was a, is a former football player who you know retires early or whatever, and uh, is basically trying to create a life for himself after the game. A lot of this is about guys struggling to stay in the game, guys struggling to figure out what to do with themselves after the game, uh, and just like how central football is to him, and how like no one ever really prepares you to figure out what's next. Um, so the Rock basically gets hired by Rob Cordroy for an investment a financial firm uh, to basically um, capitalize on his. Um, sports contacts and try and build a sports division for this investment firm. And it kind of goes from there. I'm not going to get too deep into it, but uh, I just thought, I mean, like it, I, it was good enough that I felt the desire to watch 10 episodes in two days. So uh, I, I'm recommending it. And again, just remember that the rock will be playing black Adam in the Shazam movie coming out sometime in the next five years. So comic connection, David go. I'm so upset with you. No uh, anyway, yesterday I turned on Netflix and I was kind of looking for something to just have on while I was uh, doing stuff about the house. And I saw 
oh hey they put some uh, some DC animated features up and one that I ended up watching all of yesterday was Justice League the Flashpoint Paradox which I had not yet seen seen it well I hadn't so shut up uh, for those who are not aware of the Flashpoint event I don't know what to say to you uh, but, you, you know, you might not read Big Two comics, and if you don't, that's fine. Anyway, the Flashpoint Paradox is a... It's based on the Flashpoint storyline that changed DC Comics forever, sort of, mostly, uh, in which Eobard Thawne... Uh, or no, Eddie... Or is it, was it Eddie Thawne? Eobard. Is it Eobard? I, yes. I don't really know Flash continuity all that well. Uh, so Eobard Thawne decides to fully mess with uh, the Flash... Wait, no, it's actually the Flash decides to mess with the Flash by saving his mother uh, from ever dying or ever getting killed. He completely changes the flow of time where uh, where Bruce Wayne does not become Batman, but his father does. Uh, where uh, Aquaman and Wonder Woman still exist and have a very loose relationship that actually leads to a war that is devastating the planet. Uh, and other such crazy changes. It is uh, it's a really awesome story, if you're not in on it. It's really good. Uh, the movie, really well animated. The action is great. Some of the superhero bodies are a little weird. I, I, you know, I will be upfront about that. Uh, like, their necks are kind of gross at times, and their heads look kind of small. Uh, but that being said, there's some really great people involved here. Uh, you you know you have uh, Sam Daly as the voice of Superman, who did the voice of Superman in the animated series. You have Kevin Conroy as Bruce Wayne and Batman, who did uh, Bruce Wayne and Batman in the Batman animated series. But you also have uh, like Michael B. Jordan as Victor Stone. Uh, you have Nathan Fillion as Hal Jordan, Carrie Elwes as or Ewells. I can't remember how to pronounce his name as uh, as Aquaman. You have Ron Perlman as uh, as Slade Wilson, which oh yeah, I forgot he did that in Teen Titans too. So really, really awesome voice cast all around. Uh, really great representation. I'm always really impressed because I'm like, this movie's only an hour and a half or less than. Like, how are they going to get all the story into it? But they totally do. Uh, they don't do the cosmic treadmill bit in the ending which I think is a damn shame because the cosmic treadmill is a beautiful, beautiful thing. I don't think they do that in the original Flashpoint either. Wasn't the cosmic treadmill in the, in the Flashpoint storyline? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think he maybe uses it in the beginning because it ends up being Barry's, it's Barry's fault that he's in the Flashpoint world. I, th- um, I think he had to use the cosmic treadmill at the beginning to kind of like begin getting his speed back up. But I mean, in the at the end, he's in like uh, London or something, and there's all, it's all destroyed. I don't think he uh, uses it to get anywhere. He just runs. I'm gonna be having some weird memories about New Fifty Two. Anyway, we'll we'll uh, we'll I'll figure that out later. Uh, I mean, things are things are changed from the comic, but anyway, really really solid movie. Uh, definitely. A good way to spend an hour and a half. So, Justice League: The Flashpoint Paradox is currently on Netflix. If you are like me and were too cheap to buy it, I think 
that is going to do it for our show. Nick, do you have anything else to say to the beautiful people out there? You're all beautiful, and I love you. He doesn't mean that. He says that to everybody. I do. Well, thank you so much for giving the show a listen. You can head on over to HeckYeahComics at uh, com to find out more about the show and please email us anything at all. Well, not anything at all, anything comic book related or related to our show to heck yeah comics at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at heck yeah comics. You can follow me on Twitter at Dav Luz. That is D A V L U Z. You can uh, find Nick crying in the corner looking at a picture of Ron Perlman as Hellboy and gently touching it while looking out of a window. And as always, you can find us here next week. If you enjoyed the show, then please tell your friends. And if you hated it, then please tell your enemies. Until next time, goodbye. Ever.